This is Media Sales Mastery, the podcast for media sales professionals. In each episode, we bring you information, insights, ideas, and interviews from some of the industry's top thought leaders. Head to mediasalesmastery.com to help pick the topic and guide the show. This is Media Sales Mastery, the podcast for media sales professionals. I'm your host, Jamie Wood, and our topic today is media business beyond sales. So part of being a high-performing media sales professional is having a high level of emotional and organizational awareness, meaning that whilst we operate in revenue generation, and that's where our primary focus needs to be, the media businesses that we operate within are often quite complex organizations which have multiple business units, different stakeholders, different processes, and competing interests as well. One of the critical errors that we see many media salespeople make early in their career is failing to acknowledge that they operate within this broader ecosystem. Now, the list of issues is pretty long. You know, it can lead to unnecessary angst and frustration associated with, you know, not understanding why the business you're working within is making certain decisions, um, not feeling like the priorities of the business are aligned to your revenue objectives, feeling like you've got resource constraints, or feeling like there's being, you know, there's investments being made that aren't allocated correctly or to where you think the priority is, and even just sales processes that you might think are unnecessary or feel a bit antiquated. Media salespeople with a strong commercial acumen very quickly differentiate themselves from the competition and from their peers internally within their own business. More importantly, I think just having an understanding of the drivers of a media organization will allow you to more effectively operate within it. Our guest today, a good friend of mine, Chris Barain, um, he's somebody I've known for many years. He's now based in Cape Town, South Africa, and he actually sits on multiple boards for the advertising industry, including IAB South Africa and the Advertising Regulatory Board. Uh, he's also held multiple roles in the C-suite of many media organizations and currently consults across a very broad range of areas within media business, both domestically and internationally. It's going to be a great episode. Obviously, it's underpinned by the context of a very serious uh, world event in what is coronavirus right now, but I thought this is still really good stuff to be covering right now, particularly as a lot of people are going to see some pretty seismic shifts in the gravity of the organizations they're within. Upping your commercial acumen and having an understanding of what happens in tough times will be very, very beneficial to you. Feel free to reach out to Chris or myself if you want us to cover something more in depth. Hope you enjoy. The first five. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you very much for having me. It's really good to talk. Before we jump into the main topic all around you know, media business and beyond sales, can you please just tell the audience a little bit about yourself, You know what you currently do, your previous experience in media, and uh, where you started out? Sure. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, so I'm a chartered accountant by training and background, uh, qualified as that back a couple of years ago, I suppose. And my first real job post doing my, my training with the accounting firms was with a media company, Prime Media Broadcasting, who uh, owned a couple of radio stations in South Africa. And the radio bug bit me hard. I moved from a purely finance position to uh, an, I was effectively the COO, an ops type position looking after digital as well as looking after a whole lot of other aspects of the company. Post that, Looked, I was CEO of Prime Media Online, so Prime Media was a listed media company that had a whole lot of different assets through South Africa, um, and then moved to and spent five years working in Australia, where I worked across a number of 
a well ARN I worked for a year as the national trading director but also worked for BBC worldwide as head of business development um, on completing that moved back to South Africa where I've been consulting to large media companies uh, across the spectrum from print media where I looked after the I was head of digital I sort of go in and consult to them uh, in ways of optimizing and increasing revenue in their company so worked across independent media as their head of digital media um, as well as the commercial director for the Mail and Guardian newspaper group and currently I'm consulting to a company called Africa Media Enterprises we own a number of radio stations in secondary markets in South Africa so in the in the smaller provincial towns uh, but also have big financial websites and uh, I am heading up the Cape Town operation for them so looking after sales but as well as looking after their digital operations so we're about to launch a podcasting division and I'm heading that up for them in in addition to looking after the commercial aspects for uh, anything out of the major major market in Johannesburg. Fantastic. And there was a reason I, I reached out to you for this particular topic around getting an understanding of, of media organizations more broadly than just revenue generation and optimization. It's probably given your experience, um, you know, would it be fair to say that media salespeople could really greatly benefit from having a better understanding of the structures you know, the drivers, the components of a media organization, and, uh, and if so, why? Jamie, without a doubt, I mean, what media salespeople do generally, and that it's not a negative, it's a positive, is they're fairly focused and blinkered in their approach. Everything that they do is to try and generate revenues. And media organizations, to me, the best media organizations are organizations that are revenue-focused that go out, that treat their salespeople as the kingpins in driving, you know, in driving sustainability and success for the business. But unless you have a, an overall understanding of the business, so looking to see how it can grow into potentially other platforms, so into more digitally focused platforms or selling a, a wider variety of opportunities for your clients, you're never really going to progress as a salesperson well, in fact, your career is never really going to progress. All you're going to be doing is selling 30-second spots. So the more you understand how the company that you work for is structured, how it works, where its growth opportunities exist, and how to help your, your line manager and also just generally people within the organization to help it grow, you are, A, the company is never going to grow, and B, you're always going to be stuck doing the same thing. I think that's a really good point. And I, I think I'd add to that that, you know, starting out in my, my career has always been in media sales um, and then moving into sales leadership. The real defining characteristics of a great media salesperson would be somebody who has a great organizational awareness and a great business and commercial acumen. So 100% revenue focused is fantastic, but it's people who actually understand the bigger machine they're working in and have a, a greater context of the business itself, they're the ones that typically get the best outcomes because they understand how to operate within the environment. So look, really keen to get into this topic today. Obviously, the context of what's happening in the world right now is really interesting. So we might reflect on, you know, maybe the impact of coronavirus on certain media businesses as well. But let's get into it now. Perfect. Media Sales Mastery. So Chris, we know, obviously, no two media organizations are the same, but fundamentally, 
the commercial media business. You know, there's many things in common with with each other, be it radio, television, newspaper, digital, out of home. Can you provide a broad overview of the different components required to have a functioning media organization? Well, to, to start off with, Jamie, w- without the, the content provision that we all rely on, the media sales is, is dead in the water. So we've got to have a, a fundamental understanding of good programming and our organization needs to be driving good programming to grow their audiences so programming to provide content that we can sell, that's also underpinned by good research and analytics so we can understand what our audience likes and dislikes and also how to grow our particular audience, be it in digital or be it in radio. So fundamentally, they're, they're, they're those two major components of any media organization from a sales perspective to help drive the revenue, but then from a programming or content generation side. Underpinning all of that, there's business development, looking for new ways of growing revenue, looking for new opportunities, not always staying in the one silo. So as radio and we want to always be looking at how print fell apart and it was because they just kept on saying, you know, that the the world is never going to change and people would always read newspapers and advertisers would always be happy doing what they, you know, continuing to advertise in print. So always having a strategic perspective and looking to see which way the world's turning. And that is just an overlay on top of those two particular divisions, making sure that we're always working going forward. Then underpinning that is is the support services. So I started out in finance, um, and that's always a critical element of anything because, A, you need to understand what you're spending and how you're spending it and making sure that you're able to collect what is due to you and make your staff happy, put the right incentive, the right incentives in place that you can then reward and adequately reward your salespeople and the, and tell and make sure that you have the best talent on board. Um, systems and integration into that are critical. I look after an element of that as well, making sure that you have the right playout systems or the right content management systems, depending on what type of business you are but making sure that your audience is able to interact with you in the best way possible and that your ads get flighted and or displayed and or showcased in accordance with the the, the wishes of your advertisers. So understanding how that all then fits in to one single organization and how they all play together. They're almost spokes in the same wheel. If one breaks, everything starts falling apart very quickly. I think that's a, a really salient point to finish on. You know, one thing that I, I think is a key takeaway for the audience is you do actually have to balance the needs of your advertisers and your audience very much equally. And and I think sometimes we can be very client oriented in media sales. It's it's certainly up to us to to push the organization to maybe go into areas that they're not used to or to really be the advocate of the clients within our organizations, but not at the expense of the actual audience experience. And Expanding on that very good sort of summary of, of, you know, the different components of a media organization, a natural extension of that is what's the difference between a publicly listed versus a private uh, enterprise in terms of a media company? Can you, can you speak a little, bit of a, a little bit about the differences between what a publicly listed company or a privately held media organization would be and how might that actually influence the way that business operates day to day? So I've worked across both, uh, both listed entities that went, then went private as well as private entities that 
listed and just private entities that stayed the same, as well as public organizations like the BBC, um, which were mandated to look after the, the British people, per se. The biggest difference to me in working for, um, for, for publicly listed entities is the continued pressure that you have from analysts and shareholders to keep on increasing revenues. And it's less about necessarily what is good for the business and how to grow the business, and more about making sure that your dividend flows are kept up to, kept up to speed and increasing, and that your results are keeping on getting better on a quarterly or an annualized basis. So there's tremendous pressure from shareholders and from institutional investors rather than someone who knows and understands the business and is investing in radio because or media because they like the media or they feel that media as a, as a business is a good business to be in. So I worked for a business called Prime Media and they were very instrumental when South Africa went through its democratic transition. And they were a talk radio station and part of their ethos was in allowing people to talk to each other and engage with one another. And that came down from the family that owned the business. They wanted to make sure that no matter what we did, um, the ability for people to talk to each other, even if it meant there was a drop in profits, took, took uh, first prize over and above just sh purely driving after profits. Whereas if you're working for a listed vehicle or a publicly listed media company, the ultimate shareholders, which are financial institutions or venture capitalists, they're really, that's not their primary goal and objective. They are there purely to maximize profits. And so that then plays itself out in the structure of the business. They're always looking at ways of streamlining how the operations work, whether they can take headcount out, whether they can cut marketing spend, because their, their understanding of the business isn't necessarily what you would expect from people who are steeped in media, understand that you need to build your own brand, understand that you need to have a strong support system of content providers, that you need to pay your talent very well to get the best talent on board. So it's, it's two very, very different focuses. Um, there are downsides to working for a privately held concern in that, you know, it, it becomes a sometimes decisions are made that might not be in the best interest of the business. Uh, there might be internal politics at play or family politics at play that you'd end up suffering because of. Uh, but overall, I've always found that working for entities where people have the business, um, uh, the business good as a whole, that, that, you know, where they have that in mind rather than purely chasing profits is much better and it's a much better working environment for all. Just to add to that, I've also worked for a, for a business where we went uh, where we were bought out by venture capitalists. And that's, that's potentially the worst operating environment at all because there it's purely a matter of they are trying to maximize returns in the shortest possible time. So they go in and they don't look at the business as an operating entity. They look at a way of increasing turnover, cutting back on expenses and maximizing their growth. And then they sell in two or three years. So it's a very short-term way of looking at it. And it plays out in how the business ultimately performs. And every, every single one of those businesses that I've worked in has struggled in the long term because by the time the venture capitalists uh, exit the business, they've decimated it to a shell of what it should be. And it takes a long time to then build it back up again. That's a really interesting insight there uh, across all three, Chris. 
you know, it's interesting when we talk about the role of external stakeholders, be it shareholders, be it uh, maybe private ownership, be it private equity. Let's talk about internal stakeholders. Fundamentally, media organizations, there's really two sets of key stakeholders, like we referenced earlier. There's the audiences we serve, and there's the advertisers that we deliver solutions to. Can you talk a little bit about the issues that naturally arise within a company that needs to balance the needs of these two parties? I think there always needs to be a healthy conflict between um, the advertisers and the audiences. So our our business fundamentally isn't selling thirty second ads to our audience. We deliver spots to adver- you know we deliver spots to our audiences, and without doing that, we we are fundamentally going to go out of business sooner rather than later. But there always has to be a healthy balance between annoying your audience with too much commercialization and underselling yourself. And that's where revenue optimization comes in. I know we'll talk about that later, but just in terms of getting the balance right between the number of 30-second generic spots that you're going to flight or sponsorship opportunities that you have within your environment. And pricing becomes so critical because you need to make sure that you get that balance right. I think ultimately, though, it, it will never do the advertiser on the advertising agencies any good if uh, we have we've annoyed our audience to the point where they start switching off or start becoming dead to the message that we're trying to convey. So we always talk about radio being a frequency medium, but we need to make sure that that frequency is the right frequency to get the message engaged as opposed to just you know bombarding our audience with commercial messages that annoys them and ultimately switches them off. There's another political dynamic at play, and that's in but always between programming and advertising sales, because it, from a sales perspective, we're almost a conduit and the middleman between those, those two different uh, viewpoints and those two different pressure points. And it's in, as salespeople, always having being able to tread that that balancing rope fairly well because you need to be able to push back on advertisers at some stage, but you also need to be able to push back to the to the content and to programming and going, well, this isn't going to damage what you're doing. This is actually good for the radio station because we're able to drive revenue or create content or whatever, you know, whatever we're selling. But there's a, there's a fine balance that we've got to tread sometimes. And sometimes as salespeople, all we are is we we do look for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and we're kind of just pushing to make sure that we do get our sales and hit our targets. And sometimes it's, you know, we need to take cognizance of the fact that it might not be in the best interest of the business at times. The penny really dropped for me early on in my career going, look, I'm not getting the outcomes that I want to get for my advertisers, mainly because I'm probably coming in here without any sensitivity or awareness of what the objectives of the content teams or the editorial teams actually are. Being able to understand that people respond to incentives and people have drivers and people have their own objectives within your organization, that allows you to then be able to have a more robust dialogue with them around how to get a, an outcome that collectively serves everybody. And I think that's it's really good to hear that so, so sort of well laid out from your perspective there, Chris. Let's talk about people that are early in their career of selling media. And let's talk a little bit about resource allocation or investment. So, you know, I think often people who are tasked with with generating revenue, they might feel like the business is maybe under investing in resources to support the sales process. I know it's it's 
quite easy to look at your main competitive set and see what they have that maybe you don't. Maybe they've got a research and insights team and you don't. Maybe they've got more people on ground and you don't. What would be, from a business standpoint, some of the reasons why a media organization might need to pull back on investment and resources or to to hold off providing the salespeople with, with tools and support they feel they vitally sort of need? And I suppose this, this gets back to helping understanding the financial aspects of the business where I started out. So we used to, when I started out as a CFO, um, we had very fixed ratios that we benchmarked internationally. So we looked at Australia and we looked at the US and we looked at the UK and we looked at Europe to go, if a radio station is in talk radio, if it's in commercial hit radio, if it's in AC, what are the various benchmarks in terms of from top line 100% for for every 100 rand or $100 that we brought in from an advertising perspective? What was best practice in terms of how much of that dropped through once we took off our sales costs, so fixed costs as well as commission, as well as all the underpinning support services. So not research and analytics necessarily because that was almost allied to programming, but sales support staff, so people putting proposals together, making sure the post-campaign analysis was done correctly, as well as salespeople and incentivizing salespeople the right way. So once we had had an, an international best practice of what we thought the best dollar ratio looked like we then structured our business around that and I think communication is key in looking back at when you're making resource allocation decisions it's good to involve your staff and as a line manager it becomes even more important to tell your staff not just to say this somebody said no but explain to them the rationale behind it so going For every $100 that comes in, we need to make a a, a gross profit threshold of 70% was the number that we had a look at um, and we identified as a good benchmark for us. That then, once you hit those numbers, you can do anything within it. So you can always say to the guy, well, we will pay you more, but there's a cost to that. So I need to take out some of the support that you might want to have somewhere else. And for adding in every additional person, understand if we want more people on the ground we need to then be selling more to justify that 70 percent margin in everything you do so i think it, it becomes understanding your business firstly so you understand the key metrics that are that are key to the survival of your business firstly secondly you know pushing that down from a finance perspective all the way through to the senior management team and then all the way into the line managers so that everybody understands what it is that makes a successful media business and a successful radio sales business, understanding what those metrics look like, and then allocating resources in the best possible way. So it's no good you know, paying everything out in commission to your salespeople when they, they then don't get someone who can do the booking for them and making sure the post-campaign analysis gets done properly or putting the right proposals in place. So there's, a, there's an overall team that needs to be structured around generating revenue but it's as long as when you can communicate that out to the individual staff members i think that's when everybody starts understanding it and getting a better understanding of what makes a successful business work 
And it's a very, very good point because I think one thing I have to reinforce a lot of the time with young media salespeople who can often look at top line revenue as the metric of success. You know, we've just got $100,000 into the business. And what you have to say is, is that is fantastic. Absolutely, that is great. We're getting that demand and that revenue. But our profit is actually made in the implementation of that campaign. Our profit is not made from getting the revenue in. We need to look at the resource we have to allocate. We need to look at the yield that we are trading at. We need to look at how this potentially could could make people in the organization deprioritize other critical revenue generating tasks. And certainly from a fulfillment perspective, we need to make sure that we've got the people on ground who can service and hold that business. And I think this leads on to naturally the next point around revenue optimization and pricing. This one I feel can be a major source of angst and, uh, I think you and I, when we actually had a brief um, period of working together, we were we were working together in the context of I was a media salesperson and you were the national trading director who was setting the terms of pricing. Let's talk about salespeople feeling like they might be unable to generate revenue at a price point or a yield that's dictated by the business rate card. Why do revenue optimization and trading teams exist in media businesses? And how does a media salesperson better work with this function to get the right outcome? So... Media sales it gets back again to the, the fine line that we need to trade between audience and revenue. So there's only a finite amount of inventory that we can allocate for advertising sales um, outside of the promotional aspects that we have within our, business, our businesses. So let's take it for an example, it's 12 minutes an hour. There's only a set amount that we can do before our audience starts getting annoyed and starts dropping off. So if, if one looks at the overall clock that you have or the, um, the overall revenue opportunity that you have as being finite rather than just open-ended that you can add in an additional spot whenever you want to, I think that's the fundamental basis of understanding of how it all fits together. Because if you are then wanting to sell at a ridiculously cheap rate or at a reduced rate, understand that your overall targeting or the revenue numbers that you need to hit to make your budget or to ensure that you get paid commission is going to suffer because of that. So it could be a $100,000 deal that you're bringing in and all kudos to you for doing that. But if you're selling that at a 30% discount, it means that somebody else has to then take their allocation of inventory that they're going to be selling and selling it at a 25 or a 20% uh, increase on that on your rate card rate just to try and make up the shortfall. So fundamentally understanding how much you have to sell in terms of the you know where you'll start pushing your audience away, and then understanding what your profit incentive what your profit incentives are. How much inventory do you need to sell at what rate to get to the budgeted number that you need to do to pay all the salaries to pay all the support staff and the support salaries and make sure that your product gets to where. Understand that metric and then look at it in a way of, of going, well, how do I then ensure that whatever our rate I sell at is in the best interest of the business? And that's where the conflict arises between the revenue management on the, and, and looking at what your sales ratios look like and how much you've sold out and at what rate and just getting back to the, the, the AE on the ground going, I've got a great deal for $100,000, but unfortunately the $100,000 is at a discount of 30 to 40%. Now, you know, it's, that takes time to understand. And again, it's, it's in communication. And I think 
what I tried to do in my role when we did work together was, again, explain. Go in and we had various dashboards that we set up so we understood how much we had sold at what particular rate and what our target rate was. And then when people came in, were able to offer either significantly discounted opportunities later on in the month, we might say, yes, it's a good idea to do it now, but we wouldn't have taken the sales opportunity at the beginning of the month because we, t- we, we are chasing different things and the amount of time that we have to sell is, is, is being limited by the, the calendar days in the month. Um, so there are various inflection points, and as long as you have a detailed understanding of your inventory and your pricing, and I think today it, it, it's fairly easy to do. There are enough systems out there that can push those, those ratios out onto a dashboard on a daily, if not hourly basis. It makes an understanding of what the requirements are a lot easier, but it also then makes communication of that back to the sales management and ultimately to the sales team easy as well. That's a really good point. And I think for, for anybody listening who's who's new to this, the first thing I would encourage you to do if you do have a natural conflict or tension happening with your pricing team is just to be very inquisitive. Ask them about average unit rates. Ask them about sell-through rates. Ask them about high demand versus low demand inventory. Ask them about the sales cycle of the market. Get an understanding of if forward revenue is important. Get an understanding of where you can leverage remnant inventory to build a value proposition. Being able to really have good working relationships and to be naturally interested in this area will actually arm you with better dialogue to go and have to your clients. My experience, having conversations with many agencies and many advertisers, when you give them an understanding of if they want to drive value, there's a certain way that we need to interact in order to extract that value for them, it can actually it can actually be very fortuitous for you. It can it can allow you to get them to book earlier than they might normally. It can allow you to have really, really rich conversations around what they place value on versus what they see as being ancillary. So I think this is an area where just in my conversation with a lot of people, it is a natural source of friction. It's always going to be a bit like that. But the people who can really build those relationships with the people in this function are the ones who get a great edge for their clients and for themselves. I, th- I think, Jamie, communication's key. Absolutely. Communication's key in everything that we do. The, the business, once we had, I mean, when I was working for ARN, we were able to, we had 13 different databases, I think was the number that we consolidated it into one to get an understanding of how much inventory we had and at what price. So there was time taken to understand the fundamentals of the business, which then fed up into daily charts going, this is how much we've sold per radio station per time channel and at what rate. Once you start understanding that and communicating that back, and then as an AE, understanding what that looks like, sitting down with your pricing rep, and going, so if I book it here and at this time, am I able to do this? But just understanding the workings of the business. And as long as the pricing, the pricing managers are pushing back with that kind of information as well, I think a healthy dialogue is always good. In some instances, you're always going to get unhappiness. But I think healthy dialogue, understanding. And if you're an AE, you then get an account exec. You're able to understand it, go back and work through your proposals that you're doing to make sure that you're optimizing value for your clients as well. At a sales level, this is a really easy way to think of it. If you have one piece of inventory and you have multiple advertisers who are vying for that same piece of inventory, the price is naturally going to go up. Now, think about how that might translate to when you're building out a pipeline 
always have more opportunity in your pipeline than you have available inventory because that will allow you to then make really good selective decisions around which clients are actually going to get you the best yield on that activity. Let's talk a little bit more about KPIs and and processes and systems within a media organization, specifically at a sales level, Chris. Media salespeople obviously can be a little frustrated by maybe the level of reporting, admin, compliance, process required of them by the business. You know, I think the natural attitude of a lot of media salespeople is I want to be autonomous. I'm a self-starter. I love spending my time in the field in front of clients. Why are you asking me to come in and spend two hours a week doing, you know, doing this uh, low return admin? Can you talk a bit about why these systems and processes exist and how a media salesperson can reframe their attitude and approach to these? Again, Jamie, it's all about understanding the fundamental levers of the business. If you understand where the various ratios sit, how much money the business needs for it to survive and what those ratios look like, that then gets built into individual team KPIs, individual KPIs. Um, and unless there's, an underst- unless there's a two-way flow of data and dialogue between both you know, the business and the, the, the account execs on the other side, pushing that back in, in terms of how many calls I made this week or what my sales were this week and what my, my inventory pr- was priced at, there's just going to be this complete lack of understanding of what it, it makes to get the business successful. And then ultimately, which it, unless you have those warning signs in place or unless you have those reports in place, when things take a downturn like they could possibly now be doing now with the coronavirus, but just with the up and down swings of the economies that we've seen over the last six months with the, the American economy either flying or then the stock market taking a beating, um, unless you've got some kind of reporting and warning systems in place, you won't be able to flag it and start adjusting your business to make sure that you are geared for long-term survival. So it's a two-way street there. So the, the business and the finance people and the pricing people can only do the work that it's not all just about collecting money and paying the bills. It's also about understanding those levers, understanding those pressure and inflection points and warning signs when they crop up. And unless that information is fed back to them by the actual people on the ground, there's no way of of getting that information back in to make adequate decisions and to make adequate pricing decisions. So I know it is a it is a frustrating point. I mean, having moved from a purely finance role into knocking on agency doors as I do now, the the endless reporting sometimes does get to be a little bit too much. What have you done this week? What are your you know what are your sales points? How much money is sitting out there? What are your chances of success? How much are you closing? Getting those closing rates right can be quite frustrating and can be at times quite deflating as well. Um, It's important ultimately for the long-term survival of the business that we get an adequate amount of reporting back from people on the ground so that we can make decisions for the future sustainability of the business. And that's getting that balance right, I think, is key. The last thing you ever want to do is take people who are and should be out on the road selling because that's what they're really good at. They're really good at sitting in front of people and closing sales and generating sales, Um, getting them coming back into the office and filling out endless mindless reports. That's not the goal of it. The goal of it is to try and get an understanding, but then to make it 
you know, make it be able to be done in a way that is quick and easy and doesn't take up too much of your time. And that's where we've always got to get the balance right, I think. And it's, again, always boils down to communication. This is what I need. This is why I need it. This is what it allows me to do. Do you understand that? I guess, you know, there might be pushback, but understand these are, these are the, the no-go areas. This is what I have to have to make proper, proper decisions. I think that's a phenomenal answer. And look, as we sort of draw this main topic to a close, I, I want to end on something around career development because this topic to me feels like a real blind spot for a lot of media salespeople. I include myself in that group early on. From your perspective, Chris, why is it a good idea for media salespeople to increase their understanding of media organizations they work within in terms of the broad business structure and, and drivers and the way that it operates? What are some of the short and long-term benefits of having a really good organizational awareness? Ultimately, Jamie, it depends on what your career goals and outlook are. If you are coming into an, any organization and are there just to uh, make as, you know, have, have a drive-by mugging, so to speak. So you're only in there to make short-term money and you don't care about long, long-term sustainability um, of your own career within that organization you'll have a different viewpoint to someone like yourself who came in, had a look at the business and went, I, I fundamentally like this business. I can see myself working for this business going forward. And I will do the hard yards initially to get me to a place where I can progress up the career ladder and take in a more senior and more managerial role if that's what you want to do. Some people don't want to do that. Uh, on the other hand, some people do. I think fundamentally you've got to have a, a kind of a mindset where you go, the more I learn about the organization and how it works, the better for me to either grow and progress my career or if my goal is purely just to maximize revenue opportunities in the short term. You will do so much more of that if you understand how the organization's put together as well. I, I think it, it does depend on your viewpoint. But a greater understanding of how your organization's put together, why it's put together in a certain way, why the sales teams are structured a certain way, why your pricing looks like, you know, in, why your pricing is done in a certain way at various times. An understanding of that will allow you to develop your own career and your own revenue opportunities. I think also the other salient point for me is that some people don't have a desire to move through the ranks but I would still encourage you to really have a good level of emotional awareness of the other people in your organization. Understand what drives them. Understand what their priorities and KPIs are. Get an understanding of the entire ecosystem of your business and how it works together because it will allow you to deliver better outcomes for your clients. Being able to work within a complex set of systems and processes and people and procedure and, and changing objectives and different stakeholders, being able to understand how to navigate that with really good commercial acumen will absolutely elevate you above your competition and will make your life a hell of a lot easier as well because you'll have an understanding sometimes why things aren't getting up within your organization. Um, oftentimes, there is actually a valid reason. It's about just having a, a level of awareness as to why that might be. That's a perfect answer. I can't ask my sales manager that. This one's submitted by a listener. Uh, they're based down in Melbourne. Just so you know, they've submitted this question to us really 
I guess, on the heels of the coronavirus. And I think what it's what it's what the coronavirus has certainly done right now is it's caused a lot of anxiety for people who are actually drawing their their livelihood or you know sustaining a livelihood from selling media right now in a, in a weak economy. So I want to read this question and let's see if we can help this individual out. I sell out of home advertising in Melbourne. Our major competitor has a very similar product suite to us, but have far more resources in the business. For every one person in my team, they have three, which makes competing against them very difficult. They've set a very high expectation of service in the market with clients, and they can be far more proactive than us. I feel like they have coordinators and creative teams supporting their reps, whereas I'm expected to do all the duties myself and still generate revenue. I always give this feedback to my sales director, but he says that the CEO won't approve any more headcount. I really feel like we are missing revenue. How do I show this to them? So what's your initial uh, reaction to that question, Chris? Initially, Jamie, I mean, I think one always, there's always going to be that conflict between management trying to keep headcount down and trying to maximize profits and people and sales staff on the ground going, I'm not being supported enough. And I think it's making sure that that balance is right. I think um, from the sales sales exec, I would, if I was to have that conversation with my line manager or my sales director again, I would try and put it, put more concrete examples in as an example going, you know, we lost out on this sale because we we didn't have the capacity to go out. We needed three for every one, or we needed an additional salesperson to be able to get this revenue. And this is what we lost out. And make that a concrete example with the downside in revenue, because that explains it a lot more than someone just saying, well, you don't support me enough. I think if there's a greater understanding of what makes the business work and what ratios you are trying to get to, so for every $100 you sell, you need to take 70 away by explaining the lost revenue opportunities that decision can potentially get changed up at a CEO level or you know at least they're more aware of it it's it's again it's understanding the various levers that make the business successful i think that's a great answer i mean i i was reflecting on this one too and i suppose there's fundamentally there's two or three issues at play here one is how do I articulate up the line a sound, rational business argument for more investment? But then I also look at this and reading between the lines, it might be the case that this business is actually more profitable than the competitor. And there's no way in hell the CEO is going to put more investment in when they might be making a significantly more premium margin than that business, even if running the day-to-day sales organization feels a little bit uh, a little bit undercooked from the, from the sales force's perspective. And so my advice to this person would be to ask, Ask some more qualifying questions around the objectives of the business. Get an understanding of whether this business is actually a low-cost operator in the market. Is is your you know is your opportunity and your advantage in this marketplace that you can actually go out and service a completely different clientele with a different customer profile to who your competitor is servicing? Are they servicing a different part of the market? Are they playing in a different space to you? How do you differentiate what you do? Now, I hate, you know, and, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, Chris, and you don't want to differentiate by price or be the low-cost no. operator in the market, but it's worth acknowledging whether you have a product mix or a price point or a, or an offering that is more suited to maybe a boutique clientele or a different kind of clientele. So this one feels to me like it might need to be unpacked a little bit more, but I think, um, you know, maybe the one thing that I would 
potentially ask is, Chris, if this person wants to speak to you a bit more or if anyone in the audience wants to reach out, you know, would they be able to do that? Would you be happy to have a chat? Jamie, I'm always happy to have a chat. I think um, I, I, I love talking to people and I love sharing any experience that I have had. I have worked across a couple of markets, um, both back in Australia and back here in South Africa and the Middle East. So I have a, a, a kind of a broad exposure to media in different markets. Um, but I'm always happy to, to chat to people because I think we're all in the same industry. We all have the same struggles. And in some instances, there might be a spark that we can have in a conversation that, that changes our mindset or you know, both our mindsets from both our perspectives. And it's, it's always interesting, particularly in, these, in the troubled times that we're in at the moment, to have those conversations because there are different ways of approaching clients and servicing your you know, approaching clients but also approaching line management and the management within your business. It just requires a little bit of empathy and a little bit of EQ, not only just sales ability, particularly in trying times. So for myself, happy to, to get to, to reach out to people or to have people reach out to me. My email address is chris.borain, so it's C-H-R-I-S dot Borain, B-O-R-A-I-N, at gmail.com, and I can be reached there whenever. Thank you very much for your time today. What I'll do as well, Chris, is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile in the episode description, and I think it'd be great at some point down the track to get you back onto the podcast because I'm getting some really good feedback from people saying that um, you know this is really delivering value to them, and it, it's it's only really going to be sustainable if, if people like you continue to contribute as, as generously as you have today. So I thank you very much for your time. I wish you the very best um, in what is going to be a challenging three to six months for all of us, but it sounds to me like your organization is in very safe hands with you at the helm, my friend. So thank you very much. Take care and we'll talk soon. Jamie, thank you very much for your time. Take it easy. You've been listening to Media Sales Mastery, the podcast for media sales professionals. Head to mediasalesmastery.com to help pick the topic, guide the show, and don't forget to subscribe to receive new episodes each week.